0: Welcome to One Weird Trick, a podcast giving advice for better living. Your hosts, Aaron and Cecily, have zero legal, medical, or psychological qualifications to give advice. Please consider any advice you receive from them as being from well meaning, but human and imperfect friends. Please consult actual professionals for any serious legal, medical, or mental help you may need. And now, here's Cecily and Aaron. Hello, everybody. Welcome to One Weird Trick, the show where we share little tips and tricks to make your life better, easier, more fun, faster, more convenient, and more inexpensive. Uh, action-packed,
1: richer, sexier—oh,
0: all those things! Uh, I'm your host, Aaron, and I'm Cecily, and we've got—I dare say it—a great show today. First off, Cecily is going to talk about how to disagree. To agree,
1: mm. well,
0: I I wanted to like, flip
1: that phrase right on its head. Yeah,
0: I wanted to turn that around in my head as I was saying it. <laughs> I'm I'm curious to hear where we're going with that, and then I'm going to talk about, you know, it, it's uh the the frost is done on the pumpkins. It's getting colder for a lot of the northern latitudes. Uh, I got some wintertime strategies to keep your body warm. Ooh. Cecily, Cecily, are you ready to disagree (laughs) to agree?
1: Yes, yes, I am. So I want to talk about disagreeing fairly. Now, we've all disagreed with someone before, whether it was your little brother that stole your Barbie and ripped her head off when you were kids, or it's your current romantic partner, your boss, a friend, a stranger. You're bound to disagree on something. So I wanted to talk about how to stop that disagreement from becoming a fight and if it does become a fight, how to keep it clean. So the first step is to have something to disagree on. You and the other person disagree about the facts of a situation. You've reached this point because you both have completely different perspectives on the situation at hand. You'll want to make sure that you're choosing your battles confidently. You wouldn't blow up a friendship because you, your friend sees periwinkle and you see a color as lilac. It's, if it's something that trivial, just let it go. As Fiona Apple said, I would beg to disagree, but begging disagrees with me. (laughs) You've found something that you absolutely have to disagree with. So where do you go from here? Uh, First of all, try to see their perspective. They feel just as passionately about being correct as you do. Why is that? How can you both be totally correct? Chances are you're not. And if you think the other person could really use a dose of your point of view, then you probably need a dose of theirs too. Try to talk it out and understand where they're coming from. You can either make corrections along the way, or you'll see how they are correct and you can change your mind without feeling embarrassed about being wrong. Make sure that you are able to articulate the other person's position back to them. That shows that you understand and that you were able to disagree with some reasoning. To do this, you'll want to make sure you're using those ever-important I messages. Instead of saying, you are wrong, you are always wrong, and you're such an idiot for not understanding what I'm saying, you'll want to try something more along the lines of, I feel like this statement is correct, because in my experience, this is my understanding of how this works. Right along with those I messages, make sure that you're not putting that person down. See the aforementioned idiot line. And you don't want to belittle their beliefs. There's nothing more harmful to productive communication than belittling someone as well as their point of view and then making it personal. Unless, of course, you become downright abusive, (laughs) then that's worse. Uh, Along those same lines, you could try an indirect disagreement. Your friend sees lilac and you see periwinkle. So you could try something along the lines of, well, I think we can both agree it's definitely not purple. This keeps them from feeling attacked as well as finding some common ground between the both of you. Disagreeing with someone is bound to make tempers flare, but you're also putting your own viewpoint out there to be challenged. So you might feel your blood pressure rising and starting to feel angry and defensive. Try to resist this by coming to that disagreement from a place of openness, believing you are correct. And there's very good cause for that the other person believes that they're correct too with good cause. So be willing to have your mind changed or at least open to seeing the possibilities. Again, if you have a vein popping out of your forehead and someone conclusively proves you wrong, then it makes it really embarrassing and hard to accept being wrong in that moment. Um, and finally, make sure you know when to let go. If neither side is convinced, then there's a reason for this phrase agree to disagree. You've been talking in circles for hours and you just can't come to the same conclusion and you're repeating your arguments. You got to let that go. So that's my tips on disagreeing to come to an agreement. And of course, I have book recommendations. Um, do you have any thoughts on this before I drop these books?
0: Yeah, no, I think they're all on point. Um, I I remember reading a book that stuck with me a while back called the I think it's called The Gentle Art of Verbal Self Defense and they really hammered in those Mm -hmm. like, you know, you gotta stick to I statements and you should never use words like never or always because if you start at something like, Will you never do this, if the person can come up with one well, what about that time that I did? Then now Mm -hmm. you're sitting here and now you're looking like a child, but you didn't do it the one time that I, you know, uh, it, (laughs) it, it's just, it's, it's, um, an inherently kind of aggressive way to talk about things. The other thing about like, once you, once you realize you've, you've gone into a circle and man, this is, this has helped me and Jim out. And, and, um, you know, because sometimes we're in a definitely relationship, even an intimate relationship being business uh, partners as well as, as good friends, uh, you know we've had some we've had some significant headbutting and it's i when I think about it like a lot of that stuff happened in the first year or two because I think uh we kind of had this realization that we we got organically that like if if we have been over an area of disagreement and then we go over territory and we come back and we start repeating arguments well that's you know, there are that that's where you got to take a break. <laughs> right. And a lot of times you take that break. You can continue to think about the argument and you might uh, make progress back towards their position or you might feel even stronger about yours. But like and that will allow you to come up with like the real crux of the argument, because a lot of times people, you know, when they repeat arguments, it's just they don't want to give in because it doesn't feel right. There's something about it that doesn't feel right. They can't articulate it. And if you if you take a few steps away. It gives you that time to think about how to articulate the crux of the matter so you can have those productive disagreements. Because, yeah, who wants to have an unproductive disagreement? Right. You know,
1: then it's like, why did you even pick this disagreement? Then you go back to point number one, yeah. pick your battles. Yeah. 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 So thank you. Uh, my book recommendations this week. I just got crucial conversations, tools for talking when stakes are high. I've read from that. the library. Uh, yeah, I'm working my way through that now. It's co-authored by five people. Uh, So, you know, they know what they're talking about. And also, failure to communicate how conversations go wrong and what you can do to write them by Holly Weeks. Mm. So I've got all three of those book recommendations in the show notes if you want to do some more reading. Of course, I like dropping these book recommendations because in the amount of time we have for a podcast, I can't cover every single point on how to disagree and every single, uh, you know perspective and viewpoint and relationship you would use this in so that's why we like to some add some supplementary reading to these podcasts indeed all right aaron what do you got for us i'm feeling a bit chilly
0: it's, it's some wintertime strategies to keep you warm like it's been getting in the midwest we live in cincinnati it's been getting colder at night um we we dipped below right at the freezing point uh, a few weeks ago did we? yeah wow. we did it got down to like uh, i think a 33 one more degree colder and things start freezing, right? (laughs) Um, And, uh, you know, we live in an older house. It's about 100 years old. And like, we're always looking for ways to improve the insulation and get more things energy efficient. Um, But one thing I want to um, bring forth to the group is the idea of Um, more efficiently heating things by directly heating the things that are cold. Uh, you know, a lot of people uh, get forced air heaters, um, and that's how we heat our homes, right? Unless you have like radiative heat, but I know a lot of people have baseboard heat or those big radiators, um. Or uh, there's this, this this new underfloor heating that they're putting in in some places where oh, they actually yeah. heat the heat the floor.
1: I love to do that in our bathroom.
0: Um. But you know that's most people got the old uh, you 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 force air through a fan and you heat it with either burning natural gas or by heating up uh metal coils and then that warm air goes and heats up the whole house and that's great. Um. But it can be efficient because if you're if your feet are ice cold. Um, it's not gonna really help uh, turning up your house temperature another degree or two, right um, when you can just get a heating pad. Um, so for example, get a heating pad. Uh, <laughs> so in the last four years, I don't know what it is, whether it's just like as you get older, your circulation gets poorer. Um, maybe it's early onset diabetes. Uh, but I my feet get ice cold mm-hmm. at night. Um, and it doesn't seem like the amount of blankets will help. Um, or if I put enough blankets on to make my feet warm, the rest of my body bursts in sweat. So, oh, you should um, just do what I do. What's that?
1: It's I bury my cold toes into your warm skin.
0: It's, you know, I, I, it's, uh, that's, that's great for you. I'm glad, <laughs> I'm glad you found a solution that works. Uh, <laughs> who warms the me <laughs> is the question <laughs> that uh, comes to mind. All right. A couple years ago, I tweaked my back and, um, I re- did some research into like, you know, how you can make it feel better. And a lot of people suggested heating pads. You know
1: what? This is really great advice for women who are on their periods too. Put a warm heating pad over your belly?
0: <sighs> so, yeah, it, uh, I, I got a heating pad to fix my tweak back, and it made an immediate amount of difference. Mm-hmm. Like, I would put that thing underneath my robe, or I'm sitting on the couch, or like put it underneath my back when I was sleeping. And then uh, I went through two different heating pads because the one I got, like a Walgreens, I didn't like as much. It had like a very quick automatic turn off. Um, so, I went up, I ended up getting two. Uh, after my back felt better, I started noticing. Hey, you know what? I could put this at my foot and my, around my feet at night, and my feet won't be solid blocks of ice anymore. Uh-huh. Uh, and then I realized I could actually tuck these pads underneath our. Yeah, because we were
1: doing it on top of the feet, and they would move off, and you. Yeah, kick it off. you
0: kick them off, and then it's not helping anybody. So we put them underneath the uh, the fitted sheet, mm-hmm. and now we've got foot warmers, and our feet don't our don't freeze. And it allows us to keep our, you know, because I like sleeping in a cold room, right? You know, I sleep better, kind of, you know, cozied up under the comforter. Cozied up
1: with the window open and the heating pad. Yeah, it's the best.
0: But you you get the heating pad and then you don't have to spend so much. And the new thing is those heating pads are only like, you know, 30 watt. Mm -hmm. It's like less than half the the energy use of a single uh, conventional light bulb. And a lot, like, you know, you look at some of our ceramic space heaters, because our, our our upstairs is essentially unheated. You know, it's insulated, but it, it's not connected to the, the main part of the, the ductwork of the house. Yeah. Um, it allows us to keep that significantly colder than we would otherwise, because uh, we got those, those heating pads. Um, If you sleep even colder than that, they make entire heating blankets Mm -hmm. uh, in whatever size, from full size all the way up to king size. Some of the larger ones, like when you start to get queen and above, they have dual control. Whoa! So, you know, if we had one of those systems, I guarantee mine would be turned down significantly colder than Cecily's. Um, (laughs) But that's another way to, you know, do you really want to heat the whole room or you just want to heat the thing that's cold inside of it? Um, you can you can take these philosophies into other um, devices. For example, they make things called heat lamps um, that project infrared heat and they warm uh, the skin. Like, like it's s- it's a lamp that uh, it's like a lizard, like a lizard light. Okay, yeah. You Or turn like it on, you put
1: on little chicks.
0: Yeah, you you turn it on and it, and it actually makes your skin feel warm. And this can be again a lot more efficient than. Getting a space heater that sucks in cold air and warms up the cold air and hopes that the warm air wafts over and warms you. This just as soon as you turn it on, you feel warm. Uh, there's also things called infrared heaters that that uh, work on the same principle. They don't. They're not about uh, warming the air. They're about warming the objects and people in the room. The same way that like when you step out in sun a nice sunny day, you feel that um warmth on your face immediately Mm -hmm. that's how an infrared heater works imagine if the sun had to heat up air to get to the earth it just wouldn't work
1: yeah we'd be boiling down here
0: (laughs) yeah we'd be and plus i've heard that like if there was atmosphere between us and the sun it would be like 150 decibels like we'd all just evolve to be deaf because it's just like there's this enormous thermonuclear explosion in the sky
1: oh interesting
0: only only 93 miles away but it'd be loud or 93 million miles away but it'd be loud (laughs) as hell um So, the downside of these are, especially with heating pads, you got to be careful because, uh, you know, if the cover can get detached uh, or you fall asleep on it and you're making direct contact with that hot plastic pad, people can and have gotten third-degree burns. Um, Now, I know that a lot of the modern ones, like, have shut-off periods, like, I think most of them shut off with after an hour. So it's less likely for you to accidentally let your, you know, um, burn your feet off. Also, um, the, the heating pad that I got off of Amazon, I'm going to recommend in the show notes. Um, it doesn't have a detachable cover. It's like got that soft material. Oh, it's just so all one like piece. And you can because you can like all of the electronics unplug from it oh. and you can just run the pad itself through the washer if it gets dirty hmm. and then you plug all the electronics back in and it's, it's good to go. Um, heating blankets, um, they're a lot safer than they used to be. Um, they have a lot of like internal circuit breakers and they can have, have timers and stuff uh, as well. Um, and when the heat lamps, infrared heaters, um, a lot of, especially new infrared heaters have enclosures to keep you from being exposed directly to the hot stuff. But, a lot of heat lamps and infrared heaters because it is warming you directly um it requires like those heating elements to be exposed to the air so if you have pets or small children these things might not be as uh um as as good as an idea as if uh you know we've got one dumb cat we don't care about and a 14 year old who's uh you know learned, care a little bit about yeah i mean he, he cooks he cooks <laughs> with uh with natural gas stove like he's he's kind of learned to avoid hot things at this stage yeah um I imagine heat lamps, especially good for babies. You know, you're gonna uh, set them underneath that heat lamp. Yeah, cook them up. The other thing Thank is Roe if you have, I, I heard if you have seasonal affective disorder, that a heat lamp um, having that f- feeling that kind of warmth on your your, your skin can sim- stimulate the same kind of hormones that being out in a sunny day can.
1: Yeah, they make UV lights for that too, that are less What if you combine red. the
0: two? Yeah. UV plus heat lamp. <laughs> Talking about your scorched By skin By our powers syndrome. combined, we will defeat
1: depression. <laughs>
0: And cook you to the bone like a (laughs) like a like a roast. So uh, these are some ways where you can save little money by um, uh, the other drawback of these things are like, you know, as you can imagine, they're like point heating sources. If you're moving around the room, it's not going to work as well because they need to be pointed right at you. You need to be within a proximity. Um, But like, yeah, for a lot of times, if you're talking about the average American's habit, we're going to be sitting on the couch during winter (laughs) a lot
1: especially in a pandemic
0: <laughs> yeah or there's nothing or no there's no reason to go out so or if you're in bed at night those are the times where you can save money by turning down the house heat and turning up those individual point heat and actually make you feel perception your perceived warmness and your actual warmness is going to be higher than if you had uh, turned up the heat and you know that's just just really wasteful heating up all heating up all the square inches of your house when Bye. you only have two not square feet actual feet that need to be heated (laughs) that just doesn't make dollars it certainly doesn't make sense so those Uh, are my uh those those are my tips and if you want to know the uh the aaron certified and approved heating pad check out in the show notes i've linked uh one that you buy at amazon they're under 20 bucks and uh they they warm up your feet what what more do you want from me it's a weird (laughs) trick so i'd say it's a good one it's just weird and now for the advice segment, this is where uh, you, the listener, can ask us for a weird trick. You can share weird tricks that have worked with you uh, with our listening community, whatever floats your boat. OWT at SwissBull.com is how you engage the system of weird tricks <laughs> to to deliver them to you. Hack into uh,
1: this neural network of weird tricks.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's it's the first weird trick. Uh, use OWT at SwissBull.com to get advice and yeah.
1: help. Um, give advice and help absolutely and it can be anonymous if you want to you can use it's anonymous
0: by default you have to essentially sign a waiver and and wave a gun and say and say i demand you use my real name and identify information and then we might do it but yeah we we anonymize all emails um as a matter of course
1: yeah. So our first one, who you might remember writing in a few episodes ago, we called them Sex in the Major East Coast City. Uh-huh. Uh, this is a part two follow up. Nice. They say, I hope this email finds you well. Well, this email has found us. <laughs> I am the listener who emailed in a little while ago questioning his first adult relationship in mid-20s. Mm-hmm. For review, I'm 25, living on the East Coast. You guys were spot on about everything going on with my last email, so I'm hoping you can send me straight here as well.
0: Sweet. Love it. Thanks for the feedback. Appreciate it. <laughs>
1: I recently started seeing this girl from the jump made it clear she was not looking for something serious. All right. However, three dates later, and it feels like we have a pretty good connection. Mm. It was my dog's birthday last week. Oh, happy birthday. And she brought him a present and me a small gift. Just a gemstone for creativity. I'm an artist. It's small, but thoughtful. She also told me that she hasn't since we started seeing each other, seen other people, but that she still plans or wants to. I'm getting the sense she just wants to keep her options open, which I think is fine and even mature. So here's my question, because at first this bugged me a bit and then I realized I don't want to date exclusively right now either. I just had an experience where I committed too quickly and regretted it. I set out dating again with the idea that I would slowly build to something larger, but it seems I am yet again woefully unprepared for this part of adulthood because the idea of sleeping with and going on dates with multiple people at once seems a little foreign and intimidating to me, if not almost like cheating or being a player. So, do either of you have any advice from a female and male perspective as to how to go about this kind of adult dating landscape safely and respectfully, both for my emotional safety and self respect, but also the women involved?
0: Um, I think right off the bat in your age bracket, you're going to have a lot of people that are in the same boat as you. They're inexperienced or making mistakes like this young lady uh, that you're seeing. Seems like she's maybe having some struggles to define the relationship. Like um, she's got this behavior that she wants because she's friendly and she you know, has some kind of caring about you. So she gives you a small gift, but she's also wanting to make sure that like. You know, being honest with you, but also, like you said, keeping her options open. Um, there's two schools of thought and, and everyone's trying to figure out, I think, also this ethical sluttery game, uh, you know, like uh, we're, we're waking up to the idea that like lots of people want to have kind of um, unattached, no strings attached sexual experiences, especially when they're young, uh, but they don't really want to hurt people's feelings. They don't want to be perceived as uh, a slut or a whore or a player or fuck boy, you know, so how do, how do you do that? And there's like two different, there's two schools of thought. One is you should avoid engaging in behaviors that put off the boyfriend or girlfriend vibes. For example, you scrupulously don't let people stay over. Like you have sex, they're starting to doze off. It's one 30 and nudge them. Hey, you got to get out of here. Um, never cook someone breakfast the next morning. Don't get them gifts. Uh, and then there's some people that say, you know, do whatever feels natural and good and healthy at the time. But just always, always be honest. Like, you know, um, if someone says, hey, are you seeing other people? If you're seeing other people say, yeah, um, even if they clearly, you know, are expecting to hear the the opposite. And I feel like um, there's also this thing is like. You can't get mad or make assumptions unless you've had the defining the relationship talk, the DTR. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where the rubber meets the road. Like if like I always, um, you know, it's been a while since I was playing the game. Um, <laughs> but even 10 years ago, like it seemed to be common to if you're especially on sites like Tinder or um you know, uh, okay, Cupid or, you know, it's one thing to be on like, um, eHarmony where it's like explicitly like, Hey, you're probably late thirties and you want to get married. Uh, this is, <laughs> so a real, this is a real deal relationship we're getting in. This isn't just, just banging, you know, this isn't friends with benefits. Um, but like to just go into every relationship you're getting into is going to be a casual relationship. Unless someone says, Hey, I want to talk about a relationship and where it's going.
1: Right. Cause you can't, You can't plan how you're going to feel. And if you meet someone like this that you really feel strongly about, then, you know, that might turn... You're free to change your mind. Yeah. I think the really important thing is to be honest. You know, if you are... If, you know, like your friend is, they still want to keep their options open and see other people, but they still want to respect you and, you know, be nice and cute Mm -hmm. and give you gifts and your dog gifts. I think that's adorable. Yeah. As long as you're still being open and honest. Now, if this person has caught feelings and you're still seeing other people and they get their feelings hurt because they weren't, they didn't have the DTR talk, Mm -hmm. then, you know, some feelings might get hurt. But as long as you stay honest, that's important.
0: That'll happen. Like, I know um, there's a couple times where I met a really great lady and... uh, I got pretty attached and I thought it was going places, but we didn't have the DTR talk and it became it became clear to me that I, you know, they weren't looking to, you know, narrow down their options to just me. And then, yeah, I got my my feelings bruised, but I never felt like they lied to me right. or were dishonest. Now, I've also had people lie to me and be dishonest. Right. And that's a whole other deal. That sucks. But like as long as someone's, you know, honest, like, hey, you know, I'm not looking for anything too serious right now. Um, My experience is if if they do catch feelings they'll more be more likely to see it as what was their problem cuz mm-hmm. you were nothing but honest with them right you know and if uh you know it feels right to give someone a gift or uh to cook breakfast for them in the morning or right. let them sleep over and you know you can it, it's just you just got to be honest about it because like some people just think that's great it's like oh you made pancakes for me that's that's a plus uh you're going to be you get extra um you know friends with benefits points some people see that and like oh my god they must think i'm really something special and you just have to when those conversations come up you just have to be honest you know mm-hmm. oh i'm sorry i just i yeah i i cook pancakes for all the <laughs> for all the bitches <laughs> so i'm sorry uh but but yeah i think it's just like if, if you always tell the truth and you never are uh, and that's not the same thing as saying that you have to like oh, I can't hang Wednesday. I got another date, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of t- there's euphemisms people use to like not get people's egos involved. Like, hey, I want to hang out with friends, you mm-hmm. know, because you're friends with benefits. Right. Right. But if they come out and say, are you seeing anyone? Then you can't be like, well, I'm just hanging out with my buddies. Yeah. I'm just going to uh, fire a up the Xbox. And, yeah. and you got to say like, oh, yeah, I'm actually seeing several people. Is that a problem? You know, right. and then you have the conversation. But like, I, I also get there's a little bit of like you yourself. OK, I feel like just judging from the email, there is a there's a misalignment in what you're wanting to do and how you view that activity, because I feel like you'll want to go out there and play the field and probably juggle some women. But, but
1: also, this person's kind of special.
0: <laughs> but also, and also, you don't want to be seen as being a player. Right. Like, you're, even if you are an ethical slut, people, there's going to be people that are going to hate that and think that's bad and going to judge you. Right. But like, if you, again, don't tell any lies and are open and honest about what you're looking for in now, a relationship. Now, that doesn't mean
1: you have to go overboard on being honest. You don't have to say, well, I can't see you tonight because I have a date with this person.
0: Yeah. You know, yeah, yeah. Th-
1: sensitivity also
0: like i said there's like i think that you know there's um you don't have to be like um like like super in their face about it but like yeah um just just be honest and and really evaluate like what do you want you know because if you want to play the field for a little bit i think that's entirely appropriate for your age um then do so and and realize it's going to be something you're going to have to learn because like that's the other thing is like nobody you know, um, if you've never had a girlfriend or boyfriend before, having a girlfriend or boyfriend is all going to be new and it's all going to be wild. And if you are like comfortable with that kind of relationship, essentially monogamous, serial monogamous relationship going into uh, something where you have more than one sexual partner is going to be a huge a- adjustment. And And you might find I guess in. You might find your own feelings getting bruised here and there. Mm-hmm. Um, but just like, you know, the first girl that breaks up with you breaks your heart. Um but you get over it. Those things you'll you'll learn and grow from those experiences too. So right.
1: all you can do is just be honest and be yourself, mm-hmm. and then uh, hopefully it lessens the sting if something bad does happen. Wear a condom. <laughs> all right. <laughs> uh, who's the next one we got here?
0: Teacher tips. Cecily and Aaron, I loved your segment you did on helping kids with homework. I'm in my 19th year of teaching middle school slash junior high, and I have my own children, aged 14 and 11. Hero, got, got a hero right here. I'm applauding you. Got a first responder on society's <laughs> uh, dumpster fire. Uh, let's give a r- round round of applause here for our teachers. Uh, first off, let me say as a teacher, we feel for parents. They've been placed in a position where they have been doing classroom management, something they've never been trained for, even though they're really only doing it for a couple of kids at a time. They probably have their own jobs to do and adding on to this, uh, this on top is just super difficult. The whole situation sucks and teachers really do miss having kids in the building. Thank you. Mm. That's really nice to hear. As for some weird tricks, every school that houses kids age 11 through and up should have some sort of student information system that allows parents to check up on grades, attendance, school lunch, account funds, etc. These can usually be set up by parents to send notifications about grades. Personally, I get an email once a week about my child's uh, my children's grades. My wife gets an alert whenever there's been a grade change, such as an assignment being entered. Hmm. Granted, this probably is a discussion you'd have with your child about how much rope you want to give them in terms of independence, um, but automating some of this can head off a situation where they've gotten really far behind in something and have a huge uh, hole in which they need to dig themselves out of. That's a really good point. And um, the one thing that I have found difficult being a co-parent is if the other parent is not cool about signing you that stuff up at the, at the front of the school year. It can, like, almost every year I've ever had, it takes me well into the first semester to get those same alerts, uh, to to get put on that stuff. And it's really frustrating. It's something I had to deal with now because it's a completely different system. They've moved away from this Schoology thing to, like, Mm -hmm. this whole online type of portal. And all all that stuff's changed, so I felt like I had to start off. But, yeah, yeah. you know, if you got a healthy co-parenting where they just put you all on all the, the lists when they sign up the kid, then maybe that won't apply. But that's the one thing I've found I've had to go all around and around is to get my name on all the things that have to, uh, that you that you have to be a part of. Also, it's a good point about letting your kids set the boundaries about like, you know, um, I imagine uh, some parents might be tempted to use these new online tools as a way to get more involved in their child's life and, um, you know access their emails and what like but like you know another way to take it is hey how much help do you need you know you're getting older you can take more of this on yourself and only get in there when they get into trouble something maybe to think about mm-hmm. um they say also before you sit down and uh, help a child summon up as much patience as you possibly can Good, good trick. Uh, they've likely spent the whole day looking at a screen and they're tired as well. They don't pick it up quickly. It might not be their fault. The brain of an adolescent is a crazy mix of chemicals that often doesn't allow them to be at their best when they need to be learning. Many times when I've helped my son with math and he's a pretty decent math student overall, I've said, didn't you learn this in class? And man, it feels like he wasn't even in school that day. Mm. Like, highly relatable. Ask your child to show you the instruction they received, be it a practice sheet, online textbook, or video. Sometimes if you ask them to slowly teach you, it will trigger memories for them, and they will answer their own questions. Hmm. I found Khan Academy is a great uh, resource for help with math, especially for parents who've forgotten conic sections, the Pythagorean theorem, or anything else we don't actually use in real life. Uh, the Khan Academy is great. Um it seemed like most of the lesson plan last year that they did the online school have revolved around just Khan Academy with worksheets. But mm-hmm. yeah, if you're if you're dealing with a particular thing that you're having trouble with your transformation <laughs> of linear equations or whatnot, uh, hitting up the Khan Academy for those those topics can can get you a leg up.
1: Yeah, that's great. I mean, th- kids don't have the same resources they did. Like, uh, just. Uh, for me personally, I was always a visual learner. So if I was there in class and I saw the teacher talking about a thing or writing it out on the blackboard, then I knew it would stick or I could talk to my peers and we could do homework together or talk over problems. And it's just not the same resources that they've had. And now parents got to learn how to be teachers too. And it's it's frustrating, but those are really good resources. And thanks for your advice. Mm Mm-hmm. Uh, next one is from the self-named autistic Adam. I'm autistic <laughs> from a standard societal standpoint. I suck at social skills, although apparently I'm all right at alliteration. <laughs> yeah, you really are. Personally, I think my social skills are just fine and it's allistic folks that don't know how to do things properly.
0: Did you know that I didn't? This is kind of like uh, cisgender, um, which means like you're not trans. Essentially, it's like it's it's putting a label on what side society like, sees as the default,
1: like neurotypical.
0: Yeah, it's a uh, means you're just not autistic. I had to look that one up.
1: <laughs> yeah, me too. So thanks for teaching us a new word. Um, it can be a tiny bit frustrating at times when talk of improving social skills comes up, but it's always a matter of training people to make eye contact or small talk rather than working to make it more acceptable to not need eye contact and remember a bunch of preset fight what sorry can you mark that rather than making it more acceptable to not need to make eye contact and remember a bunch of preset phatic expressions are you looking that up?
0: Yeah, it's uh, this not what's coined coin in a lot of well, these aren't coined terms. These are, I guess, um, terms maybe people that are a neurotypical are f- familiar with. But yeah, it's uh, just communications that serves purely social function, such as, "Hey, how's uh, how's the weather today?" Right, awful hot. Ain't it? Well, <laughs> how about them Colts? You know, that kind yeah. of stuff that like no one gives, you know, or like uh, the mindless. How you doing? You know, you're not really asking. Them. Yeah,
1: you don't want to know. I just want to hear good or OK. Yeah, so that's I can move uh, on.
0: apparently that's the the phatic or maybe phatic expression. Yeah.
1: Yeah. And I, I will add to this, you know, the need to cure autism. Or I saw a book of stamps from the 80s. And it was like hope for disabled people, and it showed this like evolutionary type of thing where the child went from sitting in a wheelchair to standing up. Mm. Like it's something you you got to cure, or else they're not right. Right. Um. It's it's outdated, I think. Uh, Adam continues to borrow from a different disability to make an analogy sometimes it feels like being in a wheelchair and everyone around is trying to be as helpful as possible by offering their expert advice on ideal techniques to safely tumble down staircases and the best upper body exercises to train for dragging yourself back up and i'm over here like can we just build some more fucking ramps please that makes sense Again, I think you're both great and the podcast is great, and I worry this sounds like I'm criticizing you for sharing advice on socializing better, which isn't my intent at all. There's still valuable skills. Hell, I've certainly built up an extensive toolkit of workarounds over the years for faking eye contact and similar masking techniques. Since, to return to that analogy, there are almost never ramps, and sometimes I've just got to get up the damn stairs. Plus, statistically, most of your audience is likely neurotypical or at least allistic, and genuinely just needs advice on socializing. So I'm not saying at all not to talk about those topics. Um, as anticlimactic as it is for this long email, I actually don't have any actionable suggestions when it comes to these sort of things. I feel like in an ideal world, a variety of kinds of socializing would be more acceptable, but I also wouldn't know how to start even trying to get there it's like nearly everyone comes into the world with windows and salt in their heads. And I popped out with Linux instead. And when I find other folks who came preloaded with Linux, we can communicate just fine by trying to network with all these windows folks. It requires a bunch of... Linux
0: user, huh? Way to live down a stereotype. (laughs) Jesus. No.
1: (laughs) It requires a bunch of haphazard patches and workarounds and trying to ignore all the bizarre error codes. I feel like the one thing I can do is at least remind people some of us are running on a different operating system and maybe trying to give them a tiny glimpse of what it's like in my head, which is what I hope I did here. Yeah, I thank you for writing in. I know you didn't have any actionable suggestions, but I, I wanted to read your viewpoint because we can only speak from our experience and what you, the listeners tell us is your experience. Like I wouldn't go on to tell, you know, lesbian or gay couples exactly how you should be dating or having sex because I can't speak to that experience. I can just say in general, we can give you tips on dating and, you know, meeting new people and things like that. Um, and we always have that in the back of our minds. Like I know that this advice on doing this one thing is only going to apply to people that it can't apply to. So, you know, that's why we're, we we open up the mailbag because we love hearing from people who have different experiences and can help speak to that.
0: Yeah, I mean, there's a couple things to say. Um I try, I, I oh, man, I try not to have, be reactionary. I remember like a year and a half ago, there was this video that came out of, I think it was like the Democratic Socialist of America. One of those like, where, like, it's a space where you're not really allowed to just be like, fuck off with your bullshit, you know? You're supposed to take... And I was amazed because um, one of the speakers or, or brought a point of order and he said something like, hey... Uh, when everyone's trying to speak at once or applauding, it's really hard for people. Like, I forget exactly what is social thing. Oh, I
1: remember that. Because,
0: like, you know, it makes me feel anxious and I can't process what's going on. And, like, this guy got so much shit. And I'm like, because it's like, well, what are you supposed to do? This is a, a political convention. There's 5,000 people there. They're voting by voice. They've done all this stuff. And I'm, I'm thinking, like, I, I hear all that. That's it's a challenging... It, it's a, it would be a challenge to accommodate that person's benefit. But I'm wondering... If there couldn't be like a room, like a remote room that's got an audio feed that like can be muted or whatever, or they can wear headphones to like mute if they want, and they could hit a button to uh, to give their feedback, it's like, is it important that we accommodate people, especially in things that are very important like politics, or is it not? You know, you know, if it's if if we're gonna just say it's not important, then like you don't get to say. Uh, you don't get to use, like, uh, you know, a neurotypicalness as a cudgel to, like, silence people. It's like, it's either important or it's not. You know, but on on the other hand, um, there is a, a, a vast majority of people that are, you know, like, uh, we all have uh, – we're, we're all supposed to. Our body plans call for having two legs and two arms. So, when you ta- start talking about making accommodations for people that don't, it gets really hard to do, like, in edge cases. For example, you know, if you wanted to climb a mountain – Um, There might be some mountains that we can install ramps on, but like if you want to climb, I don't know, uh, Mount McKinley uh, or Denali, whatever is the the proper term now, Uh, you might need to start looking into uh, mountain mountain climbing wheelchairs and shit because the idea that you're going to put ramps up to there is is probably not going to happen. So there's always got to be this kind of like 360, you know, we don't want to knee jerk reflexively tell people that they can't do things or we can't accommodate people. But also, you know, there's sometimes where the accommodation is going to be uh, asking a lot, for example, reforming society to where the um, accepted way to approach people is with like eyes lowered and, you know, low tones or whatever to accommodate, you know, a neurotypical people might actually decrease the happiness of a large portion of humanity. Um so, I just, like I said, I think it's important to, like, look at both of those perspectives. And also, you know, is there a way that, like, if a person's autistic, is there a way to, like you say, fake things to allow them to, you know, give them little shortcuts or tips to allow them to better navigate uh, the, the neurotypical world? Um, but anyway, I think those are the, 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 the ways to look at it. Um, because I've often wondered, like, uh, you know, there's been a lot of studies across, like, all the world's cultures – that, like, some, like, there's significant distances in what is considered social space. Like, you know, if you go to a particular country or region, they might get within, like, you know, arm's reach of people to start talking. And yet other places in the world would be like, wow, that makes me uncomfortable. It's a close talker. And I've always wondered, like, did this come down to, like, a certain chieftain or, or like high priestess just being like having like a per, you know, like, uh, you know, if, if your, if your tribal chief was autistic and he set this societal expectations and 2000 years later, it feels weird for people to get within six foot of each other to talk about, right? And then like, is that why we have all these cultural differences or whatnot? I don't know.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: So I guess going back to your email, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, it, there, I think you, you hit the nail on the head, like, um, what is the actionable thing here other than just kind of keeping in mind that everyone's different? I don't know. And I'm I am open to like uh you know, what does society look like in, in 20 or 50 or 100 years that might make it easier for people um to to get out there and interact? Um and also like, you know, wh- how can how can we shape society different and how can we help people that are different shaped, you know, better fit into society? There's some really um, interesting topics and if anyone has any actual ideas on how to, to help people that are not neurotypical, um, you know, engage in these, with these uh, social skills. Um, or topics for any holistic weird tricks, people yeah. to, uh,
1: you know, better accommodate people who are not neurotypical or... Yeah. Autistic or anything like that, or in a wheelchair yeah. or missing one limb.
0: Cause sometimes it's like, it's like, it's, it's people are going to have incompatibilities. Like if I, if I don't know how I would be with a person who didn't want to be touched, you know, that's a perfectly valid way to be. Mm-hmm. But like, I don't feel like I'd get my emotional and physical needs met with a, with, with a person. And it's like, is it, should we, should we have uh, no touch? no, touch no, notouch.com, no uh opposite ends of the couch.com to help those people find each other. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe we need a lot more drop-downs on our dating sites. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but thanks for the perspective. The next email is TheraPueta. Terrapueta for Abuela. Terrapueta for Abuela. Uh which is Spanish, Spanish, I believe, for a uh, therapy for grandma. I want my mother. To see a therapist slash counselor slash psychologist. She's a 69-year-old Hispanic woman. Nice. Nice. Living in East... (laughs) (laughs) We did not plan that. (laughs) No, but I knew it was going to happen. In East Houston, Texas. Her and my father divorced about 20 years ago, and we moved to Houston where her family's from. She never remarried, and as of late, her siblings are more of a detriment than a help, and she has relied on her children, my two older sisters and myself, for most of all of her social interaction. This has come to head with my elder sister eldest sister telling me she can't handle my mom anymore i came home last month to relieve my sister's stress and found some of the things my mother said to be offensive to us her children my mother does have underlying issues from her childhood she had an uh, alcoholic abusive father mm. i was born in a different time literally the 50s and as i said her sisters are genuinely mentally ill as well and in my opinion are just mean to my mother even mm. though she is the oldest all this said, it still hurts when my mother says things like, if she could have had another chance, she wouldn't have had kids. Mm. Or to my sister, we're all failures for not having college degrees. Ooh. And most recently, I asked her how much money I would have to make in order for her to stop worrying about me. And her answer is 150 grand <laughs> An
1: Impossible amount.
0: Is that even a real amount of money? I no. keep on hearing these $400,000 people getting taxed and say, like, that's not a real thats not a real pile uh, no, of money. No, you're
1: either making $400,000 or you're below the poverty line. <laughs>
0: Uh, they clarify none of my family's even near that. None of my siblings, cousins, or even some aunts or uncles.
1: No, yeah. And that's nothing to be embarrassed about. No one's near that. Yeah,
0: they call it. It's the one. Maybe two
1: family, two family incomes combined can come close. Maybe. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I mean, we know that's not literally true, but they have terms like the 1% for a reason. Right. It's like not everybody gets to hit that. So uh i've been in therapy since i was 10 to 11 to deal with my parents divorce i've been hospitalized for mental reasons three times i asked her nicely one day to call one of six places i'd already vetted and she refused i asked her again two weeks later assuming assuring her all she would have to do is set up the zoom call facetime and talk to one of these three therapists i suggested she would like three days later she said she would never do it how should i get her to talk to someone how should i tell her that all of her children cannot deal with her in a way that uh in the way that she speaks with us i know you have different relationships with your parents strained or not so i appreciate any help or words of wisdom that you may have
1: this is a tough one because if you only get out of therapy what you put into it and obviously she's not willing to put anything into it yeah and
0: uh, and you can't I've, force people to no you help.
1: absolutely cannot but and you know she's all she's also 69 years old so she's seems like she has ways and she's pretty stuck in them right now. Yeah. It's not to say that she can't change, but she's, she's not willing to do it for herself. Now there's the emotional appeal that you can make. And that is a, uh, an intervention of sorts where you and your sisters sit her down and say, Hey, this is how we feel, mm-hmm. you know, using those I messages, not, mm-hmm. this is what you do. This is how we feel. I feel like I'm doing the best I can in the economy to make the amount of money that I can. I feel like I'm comfortable. I feel like I don't need you to tell me that I'm not good enough when I feel like I'm good enough. And that hurts my feelings, you know, this kind of uh, emotional plea. But if she doesn't care and she's not willing to listen to that or, you know, she's got her sisters in her ear continually making her feel bad. Yeah. Enabling each other. Right. Then uh, you got a question this relationship and what you and your sisters get out of it. Either you can draw up those boundaries and barriers where you don't let her get to that emotional place with you and you still have a relationship with her or yeah. I mean, like your sister said, it might, you might have to find the end of that relationship. Like if she only makes you feel bad and isn't really helping your life in any way, then, you know, she might be your mother then, but why are you doing it?
0: Yeah. I mean, I know a lot of people like um the idea of abandoning their elderly parent, even if they're being a real shit to them, is just a not starter. It's just like, you know, the way her his mom might be like, well, I'm just not gonna get therapy. Um I i it, it could be that uh, you know, the option for them to abandon their parents just like that's a non starter too. In right. which case there's a couple things. Um there are resources available to people in your situation i know one of the organizations off the top of my head is called the council on aging and they have branches mm-hmm. throughout the united states and their whole reason for existence is to help people um that are elderly or disabled get the help that they need um or their pa- their their families the help that they need for example like maybe they can get uh, some home health aid to babysit your, your, to to watch over your mom. I shouldn't say babysit, but watch over your mom for a couple of days a week or even a day a week to give you guys a break so that you can get away from that. Uh, They could get counseling services for her. They could even recommend, you know, homes and and whatnot and and also help you work the Medicare system and Medicaid system to like get that done um, in a way that's affordable. Um, Barring that, because, you know, the reality is there's nothing you can do to your mom to make her do what she needs to do to be healthy and happy. Um, All you can control is yourself. So like what Cecily said, and this goes into those barriers, right? Or those, those boundaries. Um, I can't remember if I talked about this, but like when, when I was learning about boundaries, they were explained to me in the, like the terms of like a, a force field, you know, it's not a tangible, it's not a wall. It's something that you can, you know, extend. It's something you can retract. It's something you can lower, and I think you might need to have to start going into your mom with your shields up to where, you know, you tune your shields to where you will hear her factual complaints like, you know, my I got a sore on my leg that hasn't healed. Uh, my hip is really bothering me. I've had a lot of headaches lately or, you, you know, like uh, she's not eating versus the emotional things that she's saying that are hurtful. Like, I wish I never had you. Uh, You don't make enough money. You guys are failures. You got to understand that most of those things she's saying is projection are well or there are things that she heard her parents say and she's and maybe she sees herself as a failure and she's so afraid that you're going to end up in whatever plight that she sees herself in that she is essentially a bullying and abusing you to toughen you up and to make you excel and strive and all that kind of stuff. And the problem is, is that's all like. That's all garbage. That's all stuff that people, you know, used to think that there's there only one way to motivate somebody. And it's this. And it's got to be through fear or anger. Nagging, yeah. So, like, just if it, it it helps me sometimes when my dad comes at me crazy is to remember the stories that he told about his dad and think, wow, this is actually, even though it's offensive when it's coming at me, um, it's actually he's doing everything he can Uh, With the the, with the with the way he was raised and the resources that he has to deal with me and what he thinks is a more fair manner. But then again, I don't have, you know, I don't I don't have daily contact with my dad. He lives 300 miles away. And, uh, you know, so but 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 that's that's still those are your options, you know, because like forcing your mom to go to therapy is even if you got her to take the Zoom call. What do you do? You really think you're going to get the results you're looking yeah, for? Yeah, is she going
1: to be honest about how she speaks offensively to her children? And the therapist is going to be like, now, now, don't do that, and then things will change. It's
0: quite possible that she will go in there and just complain about how terrible you are, and the therapist, with her unlimited regard for a client, is going to validate everything she says. And right? it turns out she's going to turn a a molehill of an emotional issue into a mountain Uh, because when people go in for therapy of bad faith, it's, 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 it's not great, especially when there's like emotional abuse and manipulation involved. Right. Um, So yeah, the, the results are like, try to get the resources to where you can get, you can make your mom, not your problem or uh, you know, really armor yourself and those shielding. So where you can really tune out all that so that like just, and sometimes it's even good to visualize Like if you go with the force field metaphor, like when your mom is saying, I feel like if you don't make $100,000, you're a failure. Seeing those words come out like acid and like splatting against a shield and like dripping down (laughs) because you're visualizing that those things are not getting through to you, to the person that you are and corroding you. Right. And it sounds silly, but, you know, we don't really have we don't have. We don't have conscious control of what's going on in our brain, right? You know, you can hold your breath. You can sit still, but you can't control your emotions and and your thoughts. So sometimes having these external ways of expressing that helps to manage those things that we can't directly control. It allows you to start coming up with a mental image uh, that you can kind of think, you know, like, oh, uh, those words are literally not getting through to me because they hit my force field.
1: Yeah, there's that as far as boundaries go. And there's also there's also ways that you can speak to people who are being uh, kind of bullies without being intentional bullies, but are just being bullies. Because, you know, like we said, that's how her parents taught her to feel. Yeah. So you can ask some very pointed questions. Oh, mom, are you saying that to hurt me? You know, you can ask these questions that force her to think about what she's saying and why she's saying it. Um, you know, mom, are you are you are you saying that because that's something that your parents told you? You know, things like that, these pointed questions that really make her think, you know, secret therapy, <laughs> subliminal therapy. But you know, just uh.
0: It's tough, though, because it
1: it takes a lot of confrontation and you are the asshole because you're the one that has to deal with it now. And that sucks. It's something I feel all the time. Yeah. But you also feel stronger in the end when you do.
0: And sometimes people are being covertly abusive because they're aware that they're being abusive. And if you call them on it, then they're just like, well, fine, if we're going to we're going to have an open and honest conversation. Let me tell you how (laughs) I really feel. And I'm realizing that, like, I haven't had to deal with a relationship that I couldn't just walk away from. You know, or I felt like I couldn't. Like if I a friend is abusing me, then fuck them. I'm gonna leave that friend. If it's your child or your parent, um, you know, that's that's a lot that's a lot harder. Mm-hmm. Um because like I do have a parent I don't speak to, but that's that's her deal, not mine. Um so that's that's it's gotta be really tough. I you you have my deepest sympathies because yeah, Absolutely. You know, it's hard enough to deal with your parents getting old and frail and dealing with their mortality and making these decisions when they're not being a complete shit about it.
1: Right. And, you know, whatever your emotional or not emotional, that's not what I meant to say, whatever your religious beliefs are, there's one thing that's true. And the one thing we're guaranteed is this life that we're living right now. And how do you want to spend that time? unhappy because you know sometimes you gotta make tough choices to just be happy and is look she, out
0: for your own sanity is your mother religious can you get away with this threatening <laughs> with hell yeah this is the kind of that's a that's that's uh, yeah, if she
1: won't talk to a therapist go talk to a priest or I talked to my
0: priest and he says that uh, mom's talking like that go to hell I'm sorry <laughs> I'm sorry you're, oh, you you uh, went
1: for the evil place yeah,
0: <laughs> you're you're uh you're going you're you, do you feel the flames of hell looking at you <laughs> the, the, the the souls of your feet mom <laughs> let me tell you about, because i have it
1: on good authority oh
0: wait my jesus said that uh it's easier for a rich man to uh to to, to get the squeeze a camel through a needle's eye than it is to get into heaven you want me to go to hell mom you know yeah One hundred fifty thousand dollars. i i'm getting into richville I, my my camel's getting fat that needle's eye ain't getting any bigger nope. like come on now no. I, that's all highly manipulative behavior don't do it it's just it's just a it's just a for laughs but, but we we have options <laughs> you have yeah you you know always go to the thermonuclear hell route um, yeah. yeah check out see if see what kind of local resources you have for old people uh, that need you know different therapies and attentions and maybe to give you and your sisters uh, I don't know if they're all sisters all your siblings um they get you guys a break uh, because yeah it's just you know it's it's a it's it's an awful lot of work and you're mm-hmm. doing a lot of emotional labor and labor labor right even asking the
1: questions is a step so yeah anybody that's our last feedback for the week anybody who has some other weird tricks to add on to that any follow-ups from any of the people who have written in to us before we'd love to hear from you Mm -hmm. um aaron will be back next week for three right turns and we'll be back two weeks from now for another one weird trick if you need advice or weird tricks, of course, email us at owt@swizzbold.com. You can also find us on all the social media at Swizbold. We've also got some special projects that come up here and there. We just started an entertainment podcast so that we could talk about our annual Spooktacular. And I'm sure we'll have some holiday themed movies as well. Um, Might be some other surprises along the lines. Another special event coming up is Aaron will be covering the live election results on youtube
0: going to be a special event all right (laughs) yeah what the fuck is going to (laughs) happen tune in live let's find out together (laughs)
1: follow us on social media to see the links for that and all the details you know while you're at it visit merch.swissbowl.com buy yourself a nice apron to cook in while you're making your thanksgiving meals and you'll be sure to start a very productive conversation with your drunk uncle Swizzbold was created and is operated by me, Aaron, and Jim, and it wouldn't be possible without our Patreon supporters. You can become a patron if you're not already at patreon.com slash swizzbold. Right now, I want to especially thank all of our Fred-level patrons by name, Lisa Singleton, Greg Rasp, James Taylor, Byron Rasmussen, George P. Burdell, Angelo Morano, Jared Harrelman, Laura Luthy, Brandon DeVito, Jenny... <laughs> I did it again. Mark Hahn, Kira Grusho, Arvind Rao, Jordan Hoyt, and Dave Satterley. We will be doing our monthly live stream, speaking of special events, where we talk to all of our Patreon supporters live. And through the YouTube chat on Thursday, November 12th at 8 p.m. Eastern, mark your calendars. Hopefully you can make it live, but if not, you can watch it in all of our previous live streams by signing up. Again, that's patreon.com slash Thanks so much, everyone, and we'll see you next time.
0: See ya.